0: Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. As you're turning there, my apologies for the loud microphone and loud piano. I am both a bigger mouth and a heavier hand than Mindy is, and I I was... uh, I wasn't in here to, to pr- practice earlier, so I kind of surprised the sound people. and But they got it covered because they're professionals. Uh, they do a great job every week for us. We don't thank them enough, I don't think. Um, they are wonderful up there. They make us sound even better every week. Yeah, y'all clap for them. Uh, John and Lee. John Watson, Lee got. Uh, we've got the ladies in the, the projection booth. We've got John Watson and, uh, uh, I mean, John... Uh, bridges in the, the TV booth, and there are other people up there, and this is the problem. I start naming names, and somebody gets left out, and Josh. Josh Walker, and yeah, that's right. There we go. That was not the voice of God. That was the voice of John Watson. I guess it depends on when he's at home, how he's speaking, whether that's the... <laughs> it's not the God. We'll put it that way. All right, you've t- turned hopefully, in your Bibles to Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Let me remind you of uh, something We talked about a uh, second or third sermon into Philippians, and uh, the, a couple of pictures to remind you here of one is Art Tatum, and the other is the uh, offshore oil rig that serves as the foundation for the Tree of Life that's the centerpiece of Animal Kingdom in Disney World. Remember, that when we talked about that, if, if you were here for that Sunday, uh, we talked about the fact that some... Uh, scripture passages, particularly in the letters that Paul wrote, but in other places as well, are foundational passages. Uh, we may not go home with uh, three things to do this week in our pocket. You know, just, okay, I've got to do this, this, and this because of the passage I heard this week. Now, there is a, uh, a, 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 a call to action at the end of this one, but it's just one. It's, it's not Paul saying this, and this, and this. Uh, uh, To do or to to act differently, like last week, for example, where we are to be emptied and humbled and empty yourselves, uh, humble yourselves and uh, empty yourselves before the Lord. So, this week is one of those foundational passages. It is probably the most beautiful descriptive passage of Jesus. Uh, his his power, his might, might, who he is, and it is just uh, a beautiful prose here that, that um, works well as a song. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of discussion whether this whole thing is a hymn that the church sang, and it may have become one later on after Paul wrote it. But just know that going in. This is a one of those foundational passages that we are going to understand as much as we can God more, understand in this case Jesus more, know more about him when we leave than when we came in, and that's good too, right? You don't have to have every week, now go home and do these three things. Sometimes we just need to sit and learn about God. Have a deep in our relationship with Jesus and hear Scripture speak to us about who He is. So, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 is our passage this morning. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. the 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 points this morning, like I said, there's there's really only one personal application. There are some things that we need to understand as we move through. But the the points in your Faith Life app, that you, if you're looking at it and uh, following along with the sermon slides and what you're going to see up here, are really just the points of the passage, what Paul is writing about Jesus here. Keep in mind, and I'll I'll reference this again in a little bit, keep in mind that this description of Jesus follows immediately after Paul saying, in verse 5, adopt the same attitude, right? Take on the attitude of Jesus, the the uh, second, really, the third imperative, but the second imperative of something we are supposed to do in the Book of Philippians. Then he describes that attitude uh, when Jesus emptied Himself of of all that was rightfully His, and then humbled Himself to become a human, then a slave, then to die on the cross—just humiliation after humiliation after humiliation for the second person in the Trinity—and then Paul. It feels like an interjection here. It feels like I'm just going to go on and describe Jesus a little bit more, and partially that is it. But in the context of adopt this same attitude, we should come to this passage hearing a promise for us a, a, as believers, a, 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 an expectation of what we will or can at least, experience. Uh, Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 22, I think, somewhere around maybe verse 3, he who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So we come to this passage first learning more about Jesus and second hearing, as Paul says, have this same attitude. So we look first at the, the, the de- descriptions, the, the verbs here in, in verse nine. and it says, "For this reason, God highly exalted Him. Jesus is exalted." Now, we, I talked a little bit about Trinity, uh, Trinitarian theology, and then the uh, human divine nature of Jesus last week, and, and I d- didn't talk about it a lot because you, as I said, you quickly. If you start using analogies, they, they're, they're, they fall short every time. The, the Trinity is not something we can fully understand or fully explain. Neither can we fully understand or explain the, the dual nature of Christ, both 100% fully man and 100% fully human. So I don't want to do that again this week either. I don't want to, don't want to get too far to one side so that suddenly I'm a heretic. But what we do need to see here is that when God highly exalted him, he's not doing something that Jesus didn't already have. Remember, he was already the second person of the Trinity. He was already highly exalted as God the Son. But in this case, this is in in time as we understand it, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection after the ascension. At some point, God does something, and it may just be for our benefit. With Jesus, and Jesus is exalted in two nine. Uh, the first ch- half of two nine. That 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 word exalted. Um, highly exalted. It's actually hyper-exalted is the word that Paul uses in Greek. Paul loves to make up words and uh, this is one of those that he made up. It's used nowhere else in the New Testament and if I remember correctly, it's, they, they you can't even find it in Greek literature anywhere. This is truly a word, it appears to be a word that Paul just made up. Hyper exalted, super exalted, super duper exalted, uh, mega exalted, um, totes exalted, if that's probably not a thing anymore. Whatever the case, he is highly exalted. And this is not him being exalted, as it says there. This is not a change in his position. It's not like Jesus wasn't exalted and suddenly he is. If you remember last week, I said that Jesus emptying himself and assuming the form of a servant was the greatest expression of the love of God possible. He, that humiliation actually was, in, in essence, or at least in one view, an exaltation. When Jesus said, and I'm, I'm personifying this a little bit, This is where you get into heresy, right? When Jesus said, yeah, I'll go, he was already exalting himself. He was already being exalted. He was already being the essence of who God was, sacrificial, loving Father. And so when he is ascended, God exalts him due to, as we see in the previous passage, his humility and his obedience God sets him up, changes not his position, but openly announces the truth of who he was. And again, see this as being for the reader's benefit. Certainly, Jesus, by his willingness, earned the exaltation. But again, he was already, always the second person of the Trinity, co-equal with the Father. So his position didn't change. Nothing was added to Jesus in God's realm. But for us, for the Jews, for those who were uh, Gentiles but living in Rome, who are having to worship or, or being expected to worship their emperor, to worship Nero, to bow, to burn incense, to do all these things, for them to learn and to hear that Emperor Nero is not highly exalted. He's just a man. The truly, highly, super, hyper-exalted one is Jesus. The one you worship, the one, Jews, that, that y'all had a part in killing, the one, Romans, y'all had a part in killing, he is now higher than he was ever has ever been. You thought you were getting rid of him, but all you did... Was make him stronger. I, 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 it's it's not a one to one analogy, but you think of, I do. You think of Obi wan Kenobi, being killed by Darth Vader, strike me down and I'll only become stronger. Well, that that you know, it, I, I wonder. George Lucas is is not a believer, and, and but but look, if you if you're a Star Wars fan, and my family, most of us are. You, you have to feel for George because he, he, there are so many Christ figures in Star Wars. There, there's so much faith and so much, and 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 you want to tell George, you don't have to make it up. We've got it. I mean, I love your movies and all. I'm, I'm a huge fan, but but you don't have to find the Force. I, you, we've got the faith right here. Satan thought he had won when Jesus went to the cross. Otherwise, he'd have never done it, right? He'd have never, he, that would have never been the plan. He, Satan would have done everything he could to stop it. He wouldn't have entered Judas, as the scripture says, to betray Jesus. So Jesus is exalted. His, his position doesn't change, but finally, we as people, we as Scripture readers, the church, see Jesus for who he, who he truly was. You were impressed by His servanthood. You were impressed by His humility when He went to the cross. You are impressed by the miracles. You are impressed by his teachings. You are impressed by the resurrection. You are impressed by the ascension. You haven't seen anything yet until you see him fully in his glory, exalted above all things where he sits right now. That is the image that Paul is trying to get us to see. Jesus is exalted. But Paul goes on and says he's not just exalted... Jesus gave, Jesus uh, God exalted him, highly exalted him, and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus is named and we're thinking he already has a name, it's Jesus. Well, it's not the name Jesus that he was named. It's, it's pretty clear that it's not because he's been named Jesus now for however many years since his birth that uh, you will call him Jesus is what Joseph was told. So it's it's not the name Jesus that he is given at this point, even though verse 10 can, goes on and says, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. But why will people bow at the name of Jesus? What is this new name? That name is Lord, Yahweh, which will blow the minds of Jewish readers of Paul's letter. What? No, you cannot give the name. We won't even say the name. We won't even spell the name. You cannot give the name to this criminal who died on the cross. And yet Paul is saying that Jesus, that God exalted him, highly exalted him. This is who Jesus has always been. And you know what? His name is my name. We are I mean, if you want your picture of God and the Father and God the Son as being one, here it is. This is his name. Again, he's not doing something that already hasn't been done. He is doing something, saying it out loud, what he already knew, but we needed to hear. We begin, Paul begins rather, to, to echo some passages in Isaiah. This particular passage, Isaiah 42, 8, where God says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Now, I don't have the second half of that verse up there. I will not give my glory to another or, praise, or my praise to idols. And yet, here is God giving His name to Jesus. Well, that tells us that Jesus is neither another, nor is he an idol. He is God. God exalted him, hyper-exalted him, and gave him, admitted to, announced to everyone that that is his name also. The naming made clear what was already a reality. God exalted Jesus and said... He's me. He has my name. Now we could stop there and that'd be impressive. But Paul keeps going. Verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee and it's pretty clear what he means, but, but just so we, we grasp it, in heaven would be angels and demons, on earth would be all humanity, under the earth would be the dead. Every knee will bow. Who does every exclude? Easy answer. Nobody, that's right. If, if every knee, which knees won't? None of them. All knees will bow, every knee will bow. In heaven, the angels will bow, that's what they do anyway, but the demons will bow. Satan will bow, every knee will bow. On earth, all humanity, every one of us, and and Paul's looking forward, right? He's looking toward the end, he's looking to when Jesus comes back. And he's saying, when the time comes, when the end of all things uh, happens, when, when the consummation of time occurs, everybody, whether they're in heaven, whether they're principalities, whether they're spirits, whether there's people alive on earth at the time, or there's people who are already dead, every person will bow the knee. This would be a Physical admission of God's sovereignty over all things. A physical admission, right? We know what bowing means. We know what uh, lying prostrate in front of somebody means. You're in charge, I'm not. And this would be an admission of all the earth, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, of God's sovereignty over all things. And it's okay, we don't have to be scared of God's sovereignty. All right. As a matter of fact, it is a comforting thing to know God is in charge of all things. God is aware of all things. Nothing happens that doesn't pass through the hand of God. And that is a comfort to us. But what do we see again? Paul is, is echoing, he's he's giving us shadows of, of Isaiah, three different places in Isaiah where God says who he is, verses, uh, verse four, chapter 45, verse 5, I am the Lord, and there is no other, there is no God but me. 45, 6, so that all may know from the rising of the sun to, the, to its setting that there is no one but me, I am the Lord, and there is no other. 45, 18, for this is what the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, the God who formed the earth and made it, the one who established it. He did not create it to be a wasteland, but formed it to be inhabited. In the very last part that's on your screen, he says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Is there any doubt who is in charge? The day will come when all of the earth will admit who is in charge. And who has been in charge? And there won't be any question. There won't be any equivocation. There won't be any argument. Every knee will bow to Jesus. Right? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Yahweh. God is the one that is in charge. The Lord is the one who is in charge. Now, the one who has the name Lord—if you're looking in your Bible, oh, it's on the screen too. You see the all caps, right? Of Lord, that means Yahweh. I mean, this is this is the intertwining of the Old Testament and the New Testament when Paul is saying Lord Kurios in the New Testament, but is but is applying that name to Jesus. There was nobody Jewish who read that and thought, well, he doesn't really mean Yahweh. Though they knew, they knew without a doubt what he meant. And every knee will bow to that Lord. Physical admission. But every tongue will also confess. Verse 11. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and here we have the name, finally, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. At this point, Paul is saying, you've got the posture, you've got the the physical reaction, words will match the posture. We can, our our situation, our setting, our uh, location can imply some things, right? We can be somewhere but not be in total agreement with where we are. You you, you can be in a situation and think you know uh, no this is not this not this not for me. Uh, in two thousand three, I believe, we went to the Etta and I went to the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, and I uh, b- bought the tur- tickets fairly early. It was projected somewhere around October that uh, LSU would probably go to the Cotton Bowl. And I thought, you know, I'm going to sell the tickets if they don't go, but if, it, if, they, if these prognosticators are right, then, you know, then we'll have tickets and we can go. Turns out they were right. And they played uh, Texas Longhorns. And they lost. Justin's not in here, is he? Good, okay. Um, I don't have to hear that uh, with him in here. Yeah, they lost. But what was interesting, well, not so much interesting as annoying, we were sitting on the Big Twelve side, full LSU gear, amongst a lot of drunk Longhorns. My posture, my situation said I was a Big Twelve fan. I was, I was, I was there for the Longhorns. But in that case, my uh, my vocalics. The things I was saying proved that not to be the case. Now, the cheering tapered off toward the end of the game. Again, we lost. But nonetheless, the words didn't match the posture. The words didn't match the placement. When the time comes, when Jesus comes back, that will not be the case. There will be no, well, I'll kneel, but I ain't going to confess him as Lord. or anything. I'm not going to say, any, I'm, I'll just do this because I have to. No, 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 no. You will do it because you have to. But you will also speak the truth that you are showing by your action. Your words will match the posture. It will be a verbal confession of who Jesus is. I want you to remember these two phrases as we move through a physical admission and a verbal confession. And we see that all creation takes part. The day will come when all of creation will bow either literally or metaphorically to Jesus, and everything will be redone, everything will be remade, and the earth will again, will, will, will stop groaning, will stop uh, hurting from the sin of humanity, and it will be remade. It will bow in submission to the one who will remake all things. The lion will lay down with the lamb, Revelation tells us. We, as human creatures, will bow to the one that made us, that has been calling us over and over, and Thank the Lord, many of us respond, but sadly, many, many, many more do not. They will bow and confess someday. And they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here we have the, the complete name of Jesus. Yeshua, God saves, the, 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 the baby that was born, the name that was given that child to show everyone who he was and what he would do. Christ uh, in Greek, Messiah in Hebrew, the one who would come to save his people from their sins, the, the suffering servant of Isaiah. The 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 promise of the one who would crush the serpent's head in Genesis three, the one the, the the promise of the true prophet, priest, and king that we see hoped for and prayed for throughout Joshua and Judges and the and Kings and Chronicles throughout history, the one that everybody had waited for, the Messiah, the one who was coming to save. That is. Him, and He is also Yahweh, God, the one in charge, the one sovereign, the one who cannot be denied, the one who cannot be defeated, the one who will never turn, will never change, and will always, always hold His people in His hand. Jesus is Messiah and Yahweh. Jesus Christ is Lord. And then Jesus turns that glory right around, to the Father, to the Trinity, to the to the, that Trinitarian God that we worship. They, they share equally the glory. We worship one, we worship them all. But to the glory of God the Father, Paul says here. Because earlier in Scripture, remember, he's writing to people who may not have been Jews when they got saved, but when they went to church, you know what? The the preachers preached from? Old Testament. When they talk about studying the scriptures, they were studying the Old Testament. That's what they learned. That's, that's where they went to learn who Jesus was. And so they get the Shema drilled into them. Even as Gentiles, there's one God, just one and you follow Him, trust Him. They they get all of this, and and then they hear about Jesus, and Paul writes to them and says, This Jesus Christ, who is Lord, gives glory to God the Father who promised throughout your studies that He was going to send a Messiah to save you. And Paul says, Praise God. And they would answer in return, Praise God. They would have heard passages like Isaiah 45, 22, and 23. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. Truth has gone out from my mouth, a word that, that will not be revoked. Every knee will bow to me, every tongue will swear allegiance. Paul rips that passage by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit from Isaiah and says, you know what God said about how we are going to worship him, about everybody is going to bow and everybody is going to confess? To God's glory who said it, we are going to do that when Jesus comes back. And we're going to say it of Jesus. He is going to be the one that we worship. Foundational passages, right? Good stuff about Jesus. Well, Michael, you got anything for me to do? I knew you were going to ask. I mean, it's not enough maybe sometimes that Scripture just changes us on the inside, but there is something to do here. Believer, humble yourself and you'll be exalted. Have this attitude, right? That's how this began. Have this attitude. Adopt this attitude that is in Christ. You do these things humble yourself and you'll be exalted, but I'm sorry, you're probably going to be dead when it happens. I mean, that's just, just the way of it. You you're likely aren't going to be exalted until you're dead. Last week, we talked about Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot wasn't that known until he was dead. Uh, he humbled himself. He went. He did what he was told to do by the Lord And when he was killed, he was exalted in the eyes of people. Well, I'm telling you, he was also exalted in the eyes of God. He was given a special place. No, no more special. I don't know. He might have a more special place. Because so far, ain't none of us died carrying the gospel somewhere. So, there will be rewards in heaven. That's another sermon I'm not going to get into. But the praise in heaven when one saint dies. Imagine the praise in heaven when a saint dies taking the gospel to someone who doesn't have it. But regardless, your exaltation for humbling yourself will probably come after you're dead. As a matter of fact, Your true exaltation comes when you kneel before our Savior in heaven. Wait a minute, Michael. If I'm going to be exalted, why do I have to kneel? The same reason Jesus emptied and humbled himself and was exalted. The same reason his actual emptying and humbling was an example of his exaltation. See, we have in mind that if we uh, do something good, we should get something good in return. What we have to change our minds about is to understand we do something good because it's good. Period. Whether anybody knows it or not. Whether anybody exalts us for it or not. We do what we're supposed to regardless. That is when we are sacrificial. That is when we are most like God. Most like Christ. So... Your exaltation comes when you get, by the grace of God, to lay down in front of Jesus, and every good thing you've done, every jewel that's in your crown, every uh, room in your, your uh, part of the uh, part of heaven, you say, "This is yours, Jesus. I was just a servant. I was just obedient." And that is when we see our true exaltation, when we empty and humble ourselves as Jesus did, and then we let God worry about what's next. We do what we are supposed to do, what we are called to do, what the Bible tells us to do, and then we let God worry about the details whatever those details may be. Believer, that's what you need to get from the passage this morning. Regardless of, of your, your, whether it's a renewed understanding of Jesus or not for you, you're thinking, oh yeah, we studied this passage before, I, I know this about Jesus, that's great. How many of you still tell people about that, that vacation you went on, that one time that was the best one you've ever been on? A lot of you, I, I, I do. I mean, they're, they're, we still talk about trips that we've taken. When, when we have something as great as Jesus, we should never tire of hearing about how wonderful He is. Believer. But what about those of you who've never trusted Jesus? Unbelievers. People who've never trusted Jesus Christ as the sa- their Savior. Here is my promise to you this morning, unbeliever you will kneel and confess Jesus as Lord one day. You will kneel and confess Jesus as Lord one day. Guaranteed. The only question is, when will the first time will be? That, that's really, it's, it's a, it, it really is. It's all about timing. That's all it's about. Will it be this side of death? Because death is too late. Once that door has shut, it's shut for good when it comes to kneeling and confessing. And maybe you need to make today your first time to kneel and confess so that your first time isn't begrudgingly in eternity when you are forced to and it's the last act before eternal separation from the Lord. Again, God said in Isaiah, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, truth has gone out of my mouth, a word that will not be revoked. Every knee will bow to me, every tongue will swear allegiance. Do you remember what I said about physical admission and verbal confession? We don't really have in Christianity and uh, in, in, in the salvation, if you want to call it a process, maybe not the best word, but go with me. We don't have a physical admission of sin. It's verbal too, really. But here the admission and confession. Every knee will admit God is sovereign. Well, if God's sovereign, does that mean he's right about everything? This means yes. I mean, he is. If he's sovereign, he's right. So if he says, I'm a sinner, is he right? This means yes, he's right. So there is an admission on my part, my physical admission saying, oh, I, yes, I, tr- I love God, I follow God, I believe in God. Well, if you follow love, believe God, whatever, then it is an admission on your part that he, he is right about who I am and he is also right about who Jesus is. So if we admit first that God is sovereign and knows everything, well, he said I'm a sinner. So I've got to then admit that I am a sinner. And I need to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. You may go to church, you may believe in God, you, you may even say you believe in Jesus, but has, have you trusted Him as your Savior? There's a huge, huge difference. James tells us even the demons believe and tremble, but they are not saved. They believe in Jesus. They know He's the Son of God. They know He did the miracles. They know He was a good teacher. But they do not have saving faith. And there are millions of people across the world, our country, and probably a handful that we know personally who believe in Jesus but have never trusted Him as Savior. So we begin at the beginning, always a good place to begin. We begin with God's design. And we understand that God made everything, right? The sovereign God, the God to whom we will kneel. The God that, what did I say? All creation. Oh, let me back up. i got to find my verse now. The creator of the heavens, the God who formed the earth and made it, the one who established it, formed it to be inhabited, God's design, Him. He's the one who said, this is good. And he created humans and said, This is very good. And humans went their own way. They sinned. They didn't follow God's plan. They didn't do what God told them to do. They didn't follow God's design. And because of their sin, because of disobedience, it always leads to brokenness. We see a world that is hurting. We see a world that is broken by, by hatred and anger and so many other things. And, and you know, it's this, this three circles, uh, you, you know, it, it seems so simple, brokenness. But I marvel every week when we go through this that there would be anybody, and certainly there isn't anyone, but you just never know, who would say, well, the world's not that broken, Which world do you live in? Your own, apparently. because It's not the one we live in. It is broken. And we can look over and over and over and see the the reason for the brokenness is sinfulness. Every time. And the only hope for that sinfulness, the only fix for that brokenness is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, 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 the one who, to whom we will bow, the, the one about whom we will confess, the one who was born and lived a perfect life, who died on the cross for our sins, who rose three days later, proving he had victory over death and sin. That is the Jesus we worship, the Jesus who is now highly exalted, has the name of God, and is awaiting his return so that we can be with him. If we admit, believe, and confess, repent and believe, we'll be saved. We repent of our sins. We, right, admit God's sovereign and that His sin, or rather our sin, His his statements about our sin are true. And if we believe in that Jesus, not a belief in His existence, not a, a, a brain belief, But a heart belief, a belief that John over and over and over and over says in his gospel is how we are saved. Believe that he can save me. Trust him. Put our faith in him. We will be saved and we will begin to recover and pursue God's design. We will begin to heal our land. Let me reference two sermons ago. We will begin to heal our church as we, by the gospel, begin to recover and pursue God's design. What should you do? Believer, empty and humble yourself and leave the rest to God. Unbeliever, trust Jesus Christ as your Savior today. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that you are perfect, that you are Above it all, but not distant uh, uh, distant from it. You are involved, you are loving, you are caring, you are concerned. You're with us. And Lord Jesus, I pray that as believers kneel and confess, their lives would show, our lives would show, that emptying and humility that we are called to show, that you would speak to us, that you would draw us, that you would change us, that you would work on us. And Lord, that we would share that gospel of hope with others, that they would see in us something that they know they need, and that we wouldn't just stop there, Lord, that we would actually express that, Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for our country. I pray for our city, Lake Charles and Sulfur, Lake Charles area, our community. Lord, that you would be with us. God, that you would raise up churches to show unity in the gospel, unity in brotherhood and sisterhood. It would show unity for Christ. More than any other connection that we might have, that we would be, we would be lights in this in this uh, in this community in our towns, and you would use us, Lord. Now as we worship you some more, God, we pray that you would continue to work on hearts. You would draw us, Lord, that you would speak to us that we would leave here changed because of the time we spent with you. In your Son, Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So what is your de- decision this morning? Maybe it is to humble, to empty, to, to be used of God. Maybe you need to accept Christ. Maybe you're watching online and you're listening and, and you have questions. Message us, email us. If you have questions this morning, I'm, I'm not going to open the prayer rails, There's just, it's, just, it's just icky right now, so we're going to, where you are, pray, maybe you want to grab Tom or Amy or me or one of our other leaders uh, after the service to talk about how you can accept Christ or some, something you need prayer for.